0: Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Butte in Washington. Today is Wednesday, July 20th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. The African Union Infrastructure and Energy Committee says it has no plans to cut energy use.
1: The emissions on the continent do not exceed three percent. So the problem is not really in Africa, despite the fact that uh, we are very badly hit by climate exhaustion.
0: Kenya and the Seychelles agree to improve trade and protect the oceans. The first ever Africa Protected Areas Congress gets underway in Rwanda. A new U.S. ambassador to Sudan has been confirmed by the Senate. Nigerian President Buhari demands an end to a university strike as the country's Labour Congress calls for a national protest next week.
2: Our intentment is to put pressure on the federal government to do beautiful and be purposeful in their dialogue with the union so that there can be a resolution to the situation.
0: And rising cases of leprosy in Malawi creates fear of more infections. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The African Union Committee on Infrastructure and Energy says it does not support cutting down on energy use to fight climate change. It says despite feeling the negative effects, Africa remains the least polluting continent with less than 4% of gas emissions. From Lusaka, reporter Elias Limoya has this story. The United Nations Climate Change
3: Secretariat says Africa needs to implement urgent measures to reverse the looming effects of climate change, which are threatening food security, human health and development. In a report devoted exclusively to the continent, UN Framework Convention on Climate Change Deputy Secretary Ovee Samad said Africa policymakers need accurate data and improve technology to create plans to adapt to the problem. The call to reduce energy use is backed by a recently released report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, Working Group on Africa's Vulnerability to Climate Change. It notes that urgent action is needed to avoid mounting loss of life, biodiversity and infrastructure. Dr. Abu Zaid Amani, is the African Union Committee Commissioner on Infrastructure and Energy. She says the continent should not have to reduce energy use at a time of food security caused by the war between Russia and Ukraine.
1: Now there is Also, the climate issues, and you know that uh, for the climate issues, there were uh, some voices, uh, mostly non-African voices, to limit or to ban the use of uh, natural gas in Africa or oil in Africa, which is unfair because we have a serious deficit in energy poverty on the continent. More than half of our people do not have access to energy, and also... um, 90% 90% of our people do not have access to clean protein. And also the emissions on the continent do not exceed 3%. So uh, the problem is not really in Africa, despite the fact that uh, we are uh, very badly hit uh, by uh, climate uh, disaster. So what we did together with the International Energy uh, Agency, we proved that even if Africa uses all the available energy resources, our emissions are not going to exceed 3.5% of the global emissions. Hence, to meaningfully address the climate issues, the world has to also ensure that they do their share and that Africa, as I said, is not really the problem.
3: VOA caught up with University of Zambia Lecturer of Economy and Developmental Studies, Dr. Lubinda Hawazoga. He contends that the cost to reduce energy comes as the continent is trying to create jobs and he blames worldwide pollution on the developed economies. If there's a continent that is not emitting anything, it's Africa.
0: The, the way you're going to see who pollutes more is just to look at the satellite at night. There's hardly any light Above Africa. When you look at Europe, it's all it. When you look at the USA, it's all it. Those are the major producers of pollution in the world. So to come to Africa to tell us to start reducing emissions is more like telling us not to create jobs for our youth. The World Resources Institute puts Africa's
3: emissions of carbon dioxide per capita at 0.10% metric tons per person compared with the global figure of 3.9 tons per person. For many development experts, it's not clear if Africa will reduce its use of energy as the war between Russia and Ukraine and the COVID pandemic slow economic growth, raise prices and threaten to erode living standards. For VOA Africa, I'm Elias Limanya in Lusaka.
0: The governments of Kenya and the Seychelles have signed 10 agreements to strengthen the historical diplomatic relations the two countries have enjoyed since independence. Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta and President Wavo Ramkalawa recently met in Victoria, the Seychelles capital. They agreed to enhance capacity building and the exchange of expertise and other issues affecting governance of the seas. Maureen Ojiyambo reports.
4: In his three-day visit to Seychelles, Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta agreed with his host to strengthen the circular economy, which takes into consideration global challenges like climate change and pollution, particularly in the aquaculture sector. The two states are working towards ongoing efforts to secure the Indian Ocean waters through the contact group of piracy off the coast of Somalia. Speaking in Seychelles' parliament, President Kenyatta reassured the country of marine protection.
5: Kenya and Seychelles are at the vanguard in protecting our oceans and marine resources, and we also look forward to strengthening our collaboration in these areas following my visit to your beautiful country. I do appreciate the government of the Republic of Seychelles for embracing the blue economy through the Blue Economy Roadmap, and this has earned the Seychelles the title of African champion of the blue economy.
4: Kenya commended the Joint Cooperation Committee of the Two Nations for forging agreements that outline the avenues that will enable Kenya and Seychelles to fully maximize and further solidify their existing ties. Roger Mansin is the Seychelles Speaker of Parliament.
5: Kenya has had special significance for us. Your visit today is the occasion to speak for the present and to the future. The formation of the earth has made us neighbors. This itself calls for us to be brothers and partners in promoting peace, stability, and development in our region for the mutual interest our nations.
4: President Ravo Wamkalawan said Kenya has continued to support the socio-economic growth of Seychelles. The two leaders said by working together, Kenya and Seychelles would create huge opportunities for their citizens, especially in the blue or maritime economy and tourism sectors. President Kenyatta says common challenges should be addressed by Africans.
5: Africa can no longer afford to rely solely on outsiders to address our common challenge. So therefore, we together need to work to create opportunities out of these crises that we see. We need to build local capacities to address needs that are specific to Africa, strengthen inter-Africa trade, establish New regional markets for our goods and services.
4: Other bilateral parts signed agreements on, on defense cooperation and mutual legal assistance in criminal, as well as tourism development and bilateral cooperation in the agriculture, livestock, and cooperative sectors. Reporting for Viewers Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jiambo in Nairobi, Kenya.
0: More than 2,000 African leaders, wildlife conservationists and experts are gathering in Rwanda for the first-ever Congress on Protected Areas of the Continent. Discussions are focusing on stimulating investments that conserve biodiversity and help develop a green economy for Africa. Eugene Wimana reports from Kigali.
6: Participants of the first-ever Africa Protected Areas Congress say one of the ways to conserve biodiversity is for governments to approve the establishment of a proposed $200 billion Pan-African Conservation Trust Fund. Kadu Sebunya is the chief executive officer and president of the African Wildlife Foundation.
2: Africa still holds 30% of the world's biodiversity. And this means we are more advantaged than we may think. And this conference this week provides the perfect opportunity to reset and remodel our aspirations over modern Africa with a good representation of wildlife and wildlands. Protected Areas offers us the anchor points for our
6: future. The Africa Protected Areas Congress was organized in a partnership with the International Union for Conservation of Nature and the African Wildlife Foundation. Discussions are focusing on stimulating investment in biodiversity, conservation and the development of a green economy for Africa. Rwanda, which is hosting the Congress, says preserving biodiversity is paying back. The country's Prime Minister Edward Nguyen says, as a landlocked country with limited natural resources, tourism is greatly contributing to development.
2: We are driven by the fact that conservation, of, the, the conservation of biodiversity and sustaining our economy our ecosystem are key enablers in our promotion in promoting green and sustainable development. From our different green initiatives, Rwanda has now achieved its target of more than 30% of national forest cover.
6: Many conservation initiatives on the continent are funded by foreigners. Participants of the Africa Protected Areas Congress are urging African governments to promote locally mobilized funds. The meeting started on Monday and will end on Saturday. Ejen Uimana for VOA News, Tigali, Rwanda.
0: You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James in Washington. Today is Wednesday, July 20th. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari on Tuesday ordered the country's Minister of Education to work out a resolution to a protracted strike by the Academic Staff Union of Universities, also known as ASU. The staff union has been on strike since February over salary disparities. The Nigeria Labor Congress, the country's umbrella labor organization, has called for nationwide protests on July 26 and 27 over the closure of public universities. Emmanuel Buaja is the General Secretary of the Nigeria Labor Congress. He tells me that the purpose of next week's protests is to pressure the federal government to do more in its negotiations with the university staff union. For
2: about five months now, the Nigerian Public Universities have been shot academic staff union of the universities and some of the other university, tertiary university-based unions. And clearly it's our own view that the government is not doing enough to resolve this impasse. So we've written severally to have this uh, addressed and clearly uh, we're not getting the desired results and the desired results is to get our children back to school. Five months of the calendar year for students we feel is clearly not what should be happening to the Nigerian state at this time of development in terms of education across the globe. So our intent is to put pressure on the federal government to do the rightful and be purposeful in their dialogue with the union, so that there can be a resolution to the
0: situation. My understanding is that there's negotiation going on between the federal government and the professors.
2: Our position is that negotiations cannot go on forever. There should be a reasonableness in the time span for negotiations to take place. Negotiations cannot go infinitum. That's our position. And we feel that five months has come too long with students not being in school for people to say they are negotiating. We feel it's too long.
0: You are the Nigerian Labor Congress, so you are getting involved because it impacts the students, or what is your overall...
2: The Academic Staff Union of Universities is an affiliate of Nigerian Labor Congress. The National Association of Academic Technicians is an affiliate of Nigerian Labor Congress. The National Association of uh, Non-Academic Staff of Nigerian universities is an affiliate of Nigerian Labor Congress. These are the key unions operating in the university sector and they are are all affiliates of the Nigerian Labor Congress. The Nigerian Labor Congress is a national center and uh, we say injury to one is injury to all. We owe both ourselves, our association, our affiliates, the country the responsibility to try to bring to an end this endless round of discussions.
0: And so the protest is scheduled for the 26th of July.
2: 26th and 27th of July, across all the capitals of the states that make up the Nigerian Federation and then the federal capital, territory, Abuja. Nigerian workers will be marching to register their discomfort, their displeasure, so that the children who are majorly the ones that are suffering and then our members whose salaries have been held up in the course of this campus can get a reprieve.
0: Exactly. What's your message to the the federal government?
2: People have submitted themselves to collective bargaining. Please respect the outcome of the bargaining. It's absurd that people nominate representatives to a collective bargaining process and then disown the product of their nominees. It doesn't happen anywhere in the world.
0: Emmanuel Ubowaja is the General Secretary of the Nigeria Labor Congress. He was speaking with us from Abuja, Nigeria. The U.S. Senate has confirmed by voice vote John T. Godfrey as Ambassador Extraordinary and plenipotentiary Potentiary of the United States to the Republic of Sudan. Ambassador Godfrey will assume the role during a tumultuous and very complicated time for Sudan following the October 2021 military takeover and on and off negotiations to restore a civilian democratic government. Kamri Hudson is a senior associate with the Africa Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. He tells VOA's Nabil Biadjo the move is historic, but it is not clear whether it would change the nature of U.S.-Sudan relations.
7: It's the first time we've had a U.S. ambassador confirmed by the Senate go to Sudan since 1997. I don't think it changes the substance of the relationship, but it gives us a, a tool uh, to better engage the Sudanese. Uh, it, it is a new chapter in the relationship between the United States uh, and Sudan. Whether or not it changes the, the substance of the relationship I think is is yet to be determined. Uh, and that will rely, I think, largely on the Sudanese. But it's important nonetheless, because it's uh, it is the final stage in a process of normalization that has been going on for several years now. Um, and this was, I think, the final element that, that had not yet been uh, put in place. You
8: mentioned that it's an important tool to engage uh, Sudan. How best can Ambassador Godfrey serve his mission in Sudan? And what should be his priorities You know, at, at, at these really uncertain times?
7: Well, again, he has to go to Sudan and and present his credentials to a military head of state because uh, when he arrives in Sudan, there will likely not be a civilian leader. There will not have been um, an election held. Uh, So he he is inheriting a very uh, troubling portfolio. Um, And Sudan has a very uh, steep road ahead. Uh, It has to resolve a an ongoing political crisis. It has to uh, uh, create a, a transitional government uh, and a civilian leadership. It has to prepare for for democratic elections. It has to write a constitution. I mean, Sudan is is on the precipice of, of reinventing itself in many ways, and as the American representative in Sudan during this period. Uh, S- Washington remains, I think, the, uh, the most influential uh, country in Sudan still. Uh, and so there's a great deal of responsibility on the United States and Ambassador Godfrey uh, to help bring about the changes uh, that we want to see, but most importantly, that the Sudanese people want to see in their own country. So it's a very uh, tall task that he has.
8: On the the influence of the U.S. uh, on Sudan, um, there are uh, mixed uh, signals or elements here. Uh, So the U.S. cut off assistance to Sudan following the coup in October 2021. Uh, Debt relief was suspended by the IMF and the World Bank. The U.S. uh, sanctioned the Central uh, uh, Reserve Police in Sudan, but now the, Washington is sending an, an ambassador extraordinary. How do you see these U.S.-Sudan uh, relations at these times?
7: I would not try to juxtapose uh, the sanctions and the harsh penalties that we are uh, using right now with this idea of uh, sending an ambassador right let's remember that washington announced that it was going to send an ambassador to sudan two and a half years ago in december of 2019 secretary pompeo said that we would send an ambassador it has taken washington two and a half years to do that this has been in the in in the works for that amount of time uh so the timing of the ambassador is important uh because it will allow us uh you know to to better engage diplomatically on the ground but it is it should not be viewed as somehow counteracting uh, the other tools that we are using. In fact, I would say that having an ambassador there increases the effectiveness and the impact of all of the tools we are using, whether it's the sanctions, whether it's uh, diplomatic persuasion, whether uh, it is uh, the suspension of assistance. Um, having an ambassador on the ground helps us to explain what U.S. policy is and helps to inform the future direction of U.S. policy.
8: What will you be looking out for after this move, the confirmation of Ambassador Godfrey?
7: Sudan is not waiting for Ambassador de Godfrey to come. Uh, you know, events in the country continue to unfold. We need to see uh, the establishment of civilian rule. We need to see the, the reestablishment of a transitional government uh, in the country. Uh, you know, there are a number of of, uh, of of elements which uh, need to continue to, uh, um, to unfold. And so uh, the way Sudan looks today likely will look uh, rather different when Ambassador, Ambassador Godfrey uh, arrives in the country.
0: That was Cameron Hussain, Senior Associate with the Africa Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He spoke with viewers Nabil Biagio here in Washington. Malawi is registering an increase in new cases of leprosy after the country effectively eliminated the disease nearly 30 years ago. Statistics from the Ministry of Health show that about 500 cases have been recorded since January. Health authorities say the number will likely be much higher because health facilities in some districts are not able to diagnose the illness. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. Statistics from the Ministry of Health show that 10 of the country's 28 districts
9: have recorded cases of leprosy. For example, Salima district recorded 37 cases between May 2021 and June 2022, and a quarter of those infected developed deformed limbs, the most common side effects of the disease. Health authorities believe that many more districts could be affected as some public hospitals are not able to diagnose leplose. Dr. James Mpunga is the manager for national tuberculosis and Leprosy elimination program in Malawi. What we
2: have seen now is that uh uh, we are seeing most of these cases coming passively. But when we do active case finding, when we go out to screen people in the community, we are actually finding uh, a bigger number of re
9: cases. In 1994, the World Health Organization declared that Malawi had eliminated almost all cases of leprosy, with less than one case per 10,000 people. Mpunga says the increase in caseloads is largely because of the government's withdrawal of support towards the disease management after the WHO's findings. Since
2: 1994, the uh, funding for records has not been uh, to the market that we want. So as the Minister, we're also going out to our partners to make sure that they give us enough resources to find records the cases.
9: Health rights campaigners say the resurfacing of the disease should push the government to go back to the drawing board and resume funding for the disease. George Job is executive director for the Malawi Health Equity Network.
2: Our appeal is that uh, the assistance should come now before the situation becomes worse, as it was in the past that people would be put in camps and people would lose their limbs and others lose their lives. It is better to invest more resources before people
5: uh, die.
9: However, Mpunga says people should not panic as the country's caseload is still within the bounds of the WHO status. ...for eliminating leprosy.
2: The medicines are available and they should be found to ...because they have been giving us medicines, free of charge... ...and uh, we have enough stocks for the next uh, three or four years.
9: In the meantime, the Minister of Health is educating the public... ...on the need to report to hospitals... ...whenever they come across a case of leprosy in their communities... ...or symptoms are detected. They can include numbness in the hands, feet arms, and legs, and can also affect the skin, eyes, and lining of the nose. Leprosy is spread by a slow-growing bacterium and can be spread by coughing or sneezing. The return of leprosy comes at the same time. Malawi has also reported a polio case almost 30 years after its last case was recorded. Lamek Mansina for V.O.A. News, Blanta,
0: Malawi. And that's it for this Wednesday, July 20th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for joining us this morning. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I'm